0: Welcome to you, Uh, Common Ground Church. um, It's such a treat to uh, have such an amazing team. Behind the scenes here, there is an amazing team of people who have been setting up, planning, preparing. And uh, I found myself waking up this morning just thinking about Common Ground Church Bloberg, and my heart swelled with joy and affection and love. And so, um, just a massive uh, hello and warm welcome and sense from Myself and I know uh, on behalf of the elders and the deacons and life group leaders, we just feel so much joy and and appreciation to just be together and to to be a church and to feel that sense of uh, consistent following of Jesus, consistently loving Jesus, loving each other. And uh, it's amazing how long this season of online, the season of COVID has stretched on, and yet we just continue to feel like a community that just keeps on loving God, loving each other, and loving God on mission as we try to love the world. And so it's really cool to just do another Sunday together, another week. We have so many decades of loving and serving Jesus before we meet Him, and it's just such a wonderful thing to just keep practicing doing that over and over. And so thank you to Tashas and the band and the tech guys behind the scene, and to you for um, making it happen in your own home, getting your kids in a place that it's possible that you can actually listen, getting yourself in a space that you can actually listen and. Today, we continue on growing into emotional maturity. And I am becoming more and more convinced as I look into the scriptures, as we journey on, as I have conversations with people like you, I realize that this is something that God is calling us to deeply grow in. And it's not just so that we can become better people, but that we can reflect who God is. I just loved looking at this passage and you look and you see this famous shortest verse In the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We have a God who weeps. We do not serve or worship a God who is kind of distant, who is kind of removed from everything and looks down at the problematic people in the world and sort of just, you know, picks up his nose and goes, all the best. We have a God who moves in on our lives, who weeps with us as we go through things. If you're a person who's still skeptical about Christianity, about faith in Jesus, I hope that just that picture of the God who's shown himself in Jesus Christ would do something to you to consider freshly who is this God? Who is this God that would come to humanity in the flesh and then wouldn't sit on a throne in amazing comfort, but would move towards the broken and the weeping and then would weep with them? I hope that that moves you not to ignore this God whom I have found to be the healing balm for every aspect of my life, for the hope that I have in this life and in the next. And I hope that that will become true for you. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, are you a stone kicker? You don't know necessarily what I mean by stone kicker, but, but are you a stone kicker? Now, I'm not talking about the game my brother and I used to play when we were kids. We'd go for family walks. I don't know if you ever did this. And uh, you'd find a stone on the road, and you'd kick it. And suddenly my brother would kick one. And, and we'd start to play this game that you couldn't miss the stone. If you missed the stone, you were out of the game. And if you kicked it off the road, you were out of the game. And so we would see how long we could keep the stone going down the road for. We loved it. That game kept us going for ages when my parents took us on long walks and we'd kick the stone. That's not really the kind of stone kicker I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of person who I suppose learns to avoid the obstacles of their lives, learns to, in a sense, pretend that the difficult pains in life are not happening, learns to wrap them up in a neat little plastic package and parcel them and push them away. Uh, A person who sees the obstacles of life and primarily views them as annoying interruptions. a a sick child, or a difficult work situation, or uh, health issues, or, or struggles with your own behavior, or your children's behavior, or whatever it may be. You find yourself struggling maybe through employment difficulties, or unemployment difficulties, and you tend to view these things as simply interruptions to your life. Things you want to get rid of. You want to kick them out the way. That's what a stone kicker is. You want to kick the interruptions out of your way because they are plain old obstacles and if they weren't there, you would be happy. I must confess I'm a bit of a stone kicker. I find myself looking at interruptions in life like personal sickness or relational strain or a massive pain that I feel in different scenarios in life. And all I sometimes do is I think, I want them out the way. I don't want to face them. I want to kick them out the way. Are you like that? I know that I find myself being like that. My primary solution for stones in my life, obstacles and difficulties, is to try to kick them out the way. I think that would have been the temptation for Mary and Martha. They've lost their brother. It's a tragic story in the gospel of John. Their brother has died, There was so much expectation. This family was so close to Jesus, the Messiah. There was so much hope that would have been within this beautiful family, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus was so close to them and they felt the deep affection of Jesus and they were watching the Messiah as he was bringing his kingdom to earth and and Lazarus was so excited about the life of Jesus and he has an untimely death. And no doubt Mary and Martha are shattered they are absolutely broken by their loss. And no doubt in that moment, there would have been every kind of potential to get angry, to get bitter, to find themselves wanting to just kick this interruption out the way, to to get annoyed with Jesus, to, to find themselves finding other solutions to the problem because they wanted or would have potentially wanted to just kick the stone of the interruption out of their way. But we'll see that they don't do that. They, they, they aren't the stone kicker that I often am. And, and let me tell you where the stone kicker tendencies come from. I look at a passage like 1 Peter 2, verse, uh, verse 7 and 8, says this, to you who believe then, this stone is precious, talking about Jesus. But to those who do not believe in Jesus, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of, of offense. That's how so many in the world experience Jesus. How could a crucified Jewish man of age 33 who passed away on a cross bring salvation and redemption to humanity? How can it possibly be? It's a stone of stumbling for so many, says Paul. We we trip over it. It's so hard to compute that this man, Jesus Christ, could be the one who redeems the world by dying on a cross. We stumble over it and we want to kick it out the way because it doesn't compute with our expectations of the kind of uh, Savior we would want. At least not in a worldly perspective. Until we see it, until we see the beautiful uh, power of the cross, until we see the the love of Jesus on the cross, it becomes a a stumbling stone of offense. That that God would be a God who would move in and actually have a kind of preference towards the weak and the humble. He moves towards the broken and the, the pained. And Jesus did that all over the show, and we see he did it even here. He moved towards the broken, the dying, the paining, the suffering. It's a a hard thing to get our heads around, and it often becomes a kind of stumbling block that we find ourselves wanting to kick out of the way. Paul takes this a little more to a personal level when he writes in 2 Corinthians 12 about this kind of stumbling offense that sometimes comes to our emotions when we're dealing with pain and difficulties. He says it like this about his own pain and his own suffering. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. He's speaking of what he describes as his thorn in the flesh. We don't know was it an, uh, an emotional struggle? Was it a physical difficulty? Was it a mental battle he fought? We, we don't know. We know that he fought some real battles. But Paul writes and he says, but he said to me, this is God spoke to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. What is this alien guy? He delights in weakness. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul had this amazing revelation of seeing the difficulties in his life, not as interruptions or just obstacles to kick out of the way, but actually as opportunities to see and savor the goodness of Jesus Christ and to find himself actually seeing them as opportunities to become more like Jesus. The majority of us have a stone-kicking tendency in some way or another. Today I want to talk to us and learn from Mary and Martha that somehow we would learn to not see every obstacle, to not see every struggle, every pain that we go through as an obstacle just to kick out of the way, but something to walk with Jesus through, to, to face with Him, to allow Him to teach us as we feel some of the pains of life. I know that for many this might feel potentially insensitive as you consider some of the pain you've been through. And, and we've walked as a community through all manner of Pain in our own lives, in many of your lives, as you've struggled through loss of life, loss of loved ones, loss of employment, loss of, of, of security in many ways. We, we realize that there is so much pain. But I am deeply convinced that to walk with Jesus through it and to take His wisdom and to take His ways upon us as we walk through it is to find ourselves coming out on the other side in a newness of life, in a, in a freshness, as transformed people. And we as a church are never going to shy away from the, the difficult things. We are never going to just push on and chin up and find ourselves just pretending and we're living in a kind of prosperity gospel that just says, you know what, we're all going to make sure we stay happy when the gospels don't tell us to pretend we're happy. But the Gospels call us to a depth of life that says we will walk with Jesus so that we grow healthy, so that we grow into a holiness that he calls us to. And so today, I wanna suggest three things that are gonna help us to process and grow into emotional maturity. The first suggestion here as we look at Lazarus, as we look at the story of Mary and Martha, is this. Don't avoid God, nor your pain, in seasons of grief and loss. The temptation may well have been for Mary and for Martha to have found themselves going, Lazarus has died, we were so excited about the future, Jesus should have been here three days ago, we actually asked him to come, he never came, and we are done with that guy. Possible. It it happens in our hearts. How easily we can get offended or disappointed, and we simply just shun God out of the picture. But we see here that notice, Mary and Martha don't do that. They hear of Jesus coming two days after they w- would have hoped he'd come, four days, in fact, after uh, Lazarus had passed away. This is a long wait. Lazarus has passed, and yet they run out to Jesus, Martha first, and goes and meets him. And she says, If you had been here, you could have done something. They had seen Jesus heal people before, and they would have found themselves going, If only, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And so there's this beautiful tension between honesty with God and really letting him know, because that's what Martha does. If you had been here, come on. She does what the Bible calls lament. She laments in the presence of God himself and says, if you'd been here, you could have fixed this thing, but you were over there. And and in some ways, I think she is in a very gracious way before God saying, where were you? Where were you? I know that many of us in our pain find ourselves going, God, where were you? And that's part of the journey of facing and, and dealing with pain that we go through. It's to be able to be honest with God, to do what the scriptures call lament. I've uh, come up with two variations of lament that we in our society tend to come up with. The, The one is to not lament, but to laminate. You know what laminate is? You cover it in plastic and you file it away. You try and make it look neat and packaged, and you turn your painful situation into something that you just put in a little folder, you package it up, you laminate it, and you go, I went through that, and I don't ever want to get that again. You file it away. Hey, we can laminate our pain often. The other one is a, a, a kind of terrible uh, skewing of the French language. We could vent. Now to lament means you vent your stuff. You don't lament, you vent about everything. And instead of processing your pain and your realities that you're going through before God, you find yourself taking it public to all the wrong places at all the wrong times. You only need to go onto Facebook once in a month and you'll see someone who is laventing. They're letting it out and there is no healthy filters. And the public space they've chosen is so unhealthy. It lets the world know your pains, but it brings no redemptive grace back. We're a society that find ourselves either laminating our pain or venting our pain when God calls us to lament, to bring it like Mary and Martha to Jesus and say, this is painful. And to look in and go, what am I feeling? I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling disappointment. I'm feeling anxiety about the future. I'm feeling out of control now and I don't know how to face this. All of these are so important to realize. So many of us just don't want to go there. And as men, you know, our main emotion if we don't go there is anger. That's our primary landing point. You go, What are you feeling? I'm angry. But why are you angry? Well, I'm angry because I'm disappointed. Well, why are you disappointed? Well, I'm disappointed because I had hoped that this person would like what I was doing, but they didn't. Oh, so you're actually hurt. Yes, I'm hurt, actually. Oh, that's part of the process of slowing down and facing stuff and then bringing that to God and saying, God, I'm actually hurt. And God can then help you in your prayer time and, and God's community around you, when we begin to process that, start to go, okay, well, how do you process your hurt? Some of it is God saying, you know what, I love you despite the fact that you may have, you know, your idea wasn't accepted. And then uh, community comes and goes, you know what, let's, let's, walk, let's work out, how do we better process some of the realities of what you're facing and, and how you went through that? And we get better You see, we're not called to lavent, vent everything. We're not called to laminate. We're called to learn to lament, to understand what we're feeling and why we're feeling it. Here's the key, second point. We need to be prepared to wait with God in the confusing in between. Be prepared to wait with God in the confusing in between. This is something none of us are gonna like listening to. And this is something that if, all of us listen to and apply, will make us healthy and better people. It'll make us and grow us into the kind of people that become emotionally mature as defined by Jesus in the gospel. Think about it. Four days, Mary and Martha wait. Four days. They're waiting in this confusing in between, between Lazarus having passed away and Jesus arriving on the scene. It would have been some of the longest days of their life. They're lamenting. They're feeling the pain. They're feeling the grief. They're getting together with others, and they're crying. Then they're going by themselves, and they're simply uncertain what to do. And there is no doubt that the last thing on their mind was that they would hope that Jesus would come and revive Lazarus. All they would have hoped for is that Jesus would just come and bring something of his loving, kingly Wisdom and personal mercy to them. They had no thoughts that he would come and revive, maybe the slightest. They might have seen it once or twice. I think of a story uh, that we're going to post on social media in a while. Graham and Nicole had a stillborn child. That they, uh, it, it, they're part of a Rondebosch congregation and, 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 and went through the tragedy and loss of a stillborn child. I, I can't imagine the pain of what that would feel like. And uh, Nicole tells the story of how she personally had six months where she could not even bear to engage with God. The hardest thing for her to do was consider praying. And she tells the story how for six months she kept going back to her prayer group. And her prayer group of ladies said, you don't need to pray. We will pray with you. And in fact, we'll pray for you. You just be here. And that confusing in-between where everything is on the line in her heart, she's going, I don't even know if I trust Jesus anymore. But she kept coming back. There's a confusing in-between that will happen in all of our lives when pain besets us and we find ourselves going, I don't know what to do. I haven't an idea what the future holds. All I know is that the present is painful beyond words, and I don't know how to face it. This could be in major tragedy, but it can also be in smaller moments of our life. We find ourselves in these confusing in-between moments. Mary and Martha had four days of confusing in-between, and I'm sure they would have had all manner of temptations as to want to, you know, get rid of their faith, move on from this guy who should have been here earlier, or whatever they would have been thinking. I think of Saul in the Old Testament, one of my most kind of favored, tragic stories. It teaches you so much. Saul is the commander of uh, the army of Israel. He's the first king of Israel. And uh, he just lacked patience. He's got this army together. And uh, they're all gathered together. And the, uh, the Philistines are starting to get closer and closer. And the, uh, Saul, as the leader, knows that he doesn't uh, have the right to just make the call, to go to battle. He needs to wait for the prophet Samuel to come and help him make a decision. And Samuel says, I'll be there, just wait for me, and we will seek God and find out what we should do. And so he's waiting at the camp, and Samuel doesn't come. And a day passes, and another day passes, and some of Saul's men begin to leave because they're terrified, and the Philistines seem to be growing in number, at least in their minds, and they're starting to feel this anxiety as this army is growing and growing, and they feel like they're diminishing, and Saul eventually just uh, loses the plot, and he goes ahead, and he makes the sacrifice, he seeks God, and he makes his own decision, and he doesn't wait in the confusing in-between. The scripture says it like this. Saul replied, when Samuel arrives to him, it says, Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, said Samuel. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Is there a more tragic line in the scriptures than that one? Now you have a kingdom that will not endure. I want a life in Jesus that endures that lasts, that becomes a pillar of strength, an oak of righteousness, as the Old Testament describes it. A tree that is strong, that has its roots down deep, says says Psalm 1. I want to have that kind of life. Well, then sometimes I need to wait in the confusing in between, feeling like the armies are encroaching, feeling like I'm vulnerable and out of control, feeling like I do not know where my relief will come from. There will be temptation. That's the point. There will be temptation. The one temptation for you and I will be just like Saul's, to, in a sense, just rush the process, to speed it up. For others, it will be to escape and maybe to, in a sense, self-medicate. That's often what happens in our generation. Short-term escapes, things like work, drugs, alcohol, movies, TV, social media, shopping, busyness, food. Take your pick. Something to get out of the confusing in between. Isolate, maybe. Don't ask for care. Don't receive care. Just stay away. Or what? maybe it's to vacate. Just leave. Leave the difficult relationship. Leave the, the emotionally difficult space. Maybe it's to uh, distance yourself from people. Maybe it's to vacate the, the whole geography. Find a new space to live. But the point is, is that Jesus calls us to wait with him. In the confusing in between, Jesus Himself is on the cross in the confusing in between. He is up on the cross and He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He moves towards God in lament, but He never forsakes a trust in God. The beauty of that is that just on the other side, redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. I think of a story a friend told me recently. In close proximity, within our city, a a couple went through a tragic marital divorce. Uh, The wife was uh, horribly unfaithful and left the husband really broken and shattered. And uh, anyway, to to cut a long story short, this husband maintained his faith in Jesus. He did everything he could to keep... uh, following Jesus, to keep trusting him whilst he grieved the loss of his wife as she went off into multiple relationships that, in a sense, just rubbed further salt in the wound. And he continued to just try his best to just practice following Jesus. He, he kept arriving at his life group. He kept pitching up at church. He kept pitching up before Jesus as best he knew how to simply say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you're a redeeming God. I don't know what that looks like, but I trust you. One year turned into two, turned into three, turned into four. He began to feel God restoring him from the pain of his divorce and the pain of all the, that had come along with that. And uh, he began to build a relationship with someone else. And as he built that relationship, he found himself thinking, maybe I, this is the person to marry and went so far as to buy an engagement ring And and as he's beginning to consider getting engaged to this woman that's not his uh, ex-wife, he feels a still, small whisper. Don't do it. Don't don't, don't go there. He, He puts the ring in his pocket, so to speak, and ends the relationship. I can't say this story will end like this for everyone. But what I can say is that not a few months later, at the very same time that he was putting the ring in his pocket, his ex-wife was finding a fresh sense of prodigal son's story. She was coming home. She was coming home to, to, to Jesus and, and realizing that the last four years that she had squandered had become a real blotch in her life. But amazingly, she began to go back to the people she had wronged one life at a time. Flash forward, I think it's five or six years in now, And that couple have begun dating again. And they, as an ex-married couple, are on the verge of restoration, of, of seeing their marriage back together again. Now, I can't promise that outcome every time. I can't promise you that will happen. But what I can say is that there is a confusing in between for all of us. That is inevitable. And what we do in that will say so much about the opportunities that we will take to truly grow, to truly become like Jesus. How are you handling the waiting in the confusing in between? You know your story. You know what God might be calling you to wait in. Because if you do, thirdly, you'll see that God will begin to birth the new from the old. Would you allow God to birth the new from the old? It's from that confusing in-between that we find that Jesus holds on. And it's in the confusing in-between that we see that only 36 hours later, Jesus is resurrected. He dies on a cross in that space of confusion. God, where are you? And basically two days later is risen to life as heaven and earth, true king and begins the new heavens and the new earth. That's how close sometimes we are to the new life breaking out upon our lives if we simply wait with God in that space. I, I want to call you to that. Mary and Martha did that and saw Lazarus raised to life. The point that Jesus makes in this is not that he's going to raise every person who dies to life. We know that. In fact, it's pretty safe to say, of course, that Lazarus isn't alive today. He was risen, but he died again, like all of us will. So what was Jesus doing there? what was Jesus up to? Why, was he, why did he raise Lazarus to life? We get our clue in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this question, do you believe this? And he says two more times, In this passage of scripture, he says, in his one prayer, he says, I do this, Father, that they might believe that I am the one whom you sent. Jesus is in the business of calling us to believe in him. He wants us to trust him. Right through those confusing in-betweens where we don't have the answers, where we feel completely out of control because it's into that space that he begins to transform us He takes out of us that that shadow self, the self that says, I need to be in control. I'm the master of my destiny. And he takes that shadow self, the fleshy man, as Paul calls it, and he begins to put inside of us that eternal man, the the, the more humble man, the person who is becoming more and more like Jesus. Let me land with a story, a personal one. Nick and I were dating uh, before we got married, of course, and we dated for three months, and then we broke up. And I won't get into all the details of the breakup, but what I will say is that for six and a half months, we were not together. It was a confusing in between. It was a really complex time where I found myself going, What to do? How do I face this annoying, confusing in between? And what was so powerful about that confusing in between was that I found myself going, I love this girl and I want to be with her forever. But what's stopping that and in that confusing in between god began to pull out one story at a time the pride the sense of entitlement to my own heart the the sense of arrogance in myself and the way that i viewed things and slowly in the confusing in between i realized i was a self-centered horrible dude (laughs) And those six months were so profound because I held on to God and I let go of control of the outcome that I wanted and I found myself going, what do you have, God? And he gently and graciously, slowly and wisely uprooted the horrible, sinful tendencies in my heart. But it meant it needed to get a little ugly. It meant I needed to face up to the emotions I was feeling, to the selfish experiences I'd been through and to let God slowly pick them out one at a time. I once heard someone describe Christians, healthy Christians at least, as wounded healers, wounded healers, are those who ought to have gone through many confusing in-betweens, and not laminated them, not vented our way through them, but lamented them, facing them, waiting with God in that space. Because as we wait, He does the masterful work, like a master surgeon taking out that which needs to be taken out and replacing it with new life, with resurrection life, with with the life that Jesus promises, with the life that Jesus showed when he rose from the dead. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna take a gap now to simply reflect. Reflect on your confusing in-betweens. What are some of the spaces you have been in where maybe you've been like Saul and you've simply rushed your way through or maybe you've been uh, uh, like, like Mary and Martha. You've waited. You've waited patiently. You've sought God. You've lamented rather than vented or laminated. And how are you processing them right now? How are you processing the confusing in-betweens, the things that aren't arriving on your timeline, things that aren't working out how you hoped they would? Are you trying to hold on to control or are you gently letting God take control? And you're letting him in to actually share some of the emotional realities of what you're facing at this time. Looking at some of your past. What fears did you grow up with? What pains have you been through? What losses have you faced? And what has that left you? Are some of them, have you already experienced resurrection life, the beautiful new that's been birthed from the old? And is, are you aware of Jesus with you right now as you wait with him? in that confusing in between. Let me assure you, you will never regret one minute, one day, one hour, one year, one decade where you have waited with Jesus in the confusing in between because on the other side comes resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, as we sing, as we enjoy your amazing grace, I do pray that we would find ourselves beautifully aware of your love and your mercy and your kindness, that we wouldn't find ourselves in Saul's shoes, always rushing the process, but would know to wait and know how to wait and allow you into this stuff that's going on so that we emerge healthy. Lives that last, lives that reflect your kingdom, that will far outlast the pains of this world. Teach us, we pray as we sing, we want to reflect, we want to grow, we want to glorify in your beautiful name. Amen.